You're listening to this edition of 88.9 The Pulse WQSU Sports Podcast. And we're back with another SU Sports Podcast to talk some NFL. I'm Dylan. I'm joined. I have the pleasure of being joined by Seth. Seth, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good, Dill. Everything's going well. Yeah, of course. So we're back to talk some NFL. We're going to get into a deeper depth of the Le'Veon Bell not reporting to training camp. Talk about that a little bit. The Philadelphia Eagles were stunned on Sunday night at home by the Dallas Cowboys. So we're going to get into that some. And then we're going to end with weekly picks. We're going to start doing weekly picks here on our podcast. So to start things off on that Thursday night football game, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers at home against the Carolina Panthers. Two teams that looked pretty hot. Panthers really needed a win to stay up track with the Saints in the NFC South. They needed to compete there. Steelers could have forwarded a loss there as their division's been slacking off a little bit. The Bengals started off hot, have slowed down a bit, but the Steelers came away with a big victory, got up big, first quarter 21-7. Big Ben was red hot, and I mean the Steelers absolutely pummeled the Panthers from start to finish to a 52-21 victory at Heinz Field. So, Seth, what were your thoughts on that game? It was kind of surprising that the Steelers went out to a 21-7 lead because the Panthers marched down the field, they scored quickly on a 20-yard pass to Christian McCaffrey, and then all of a sudden the first play from scrimmage by the Steelers was a touchdown pass, 75 yards to Juju Smith-Schuster. And it wasn't a long pass, it was maybe 15 yards in the air, and Juju beat everybody because the cornerback and the safety bit on Antonio Brown running a cross route. So, it was tied 7-7 within uh, 10 seconds uh, of the Steelers getting the ball back. And then three seconds into the Panthers' next drive, Cam Newton throws a pick six. That was the game right there. In those 13 seconds, the game was over for the Carolina Panthers. And coming in on a four-game winning streak at 6-2, and two, playing the 5-2-1 and one Steelers, it looked like Carolina was in good shape to stay competitive with the Saints. But as you said, they really slacked off in this loss. What was it, 52-21 to uh, 21 by the end of it? It was a blowout by all means. The most points scored by the Steelers at Heinz Field in the 20 years they've been there. And it was just... I, it looked like the Steelers were playing a peewee football team in the Carolina Panthers. They did not look like a 6-2 and two team, and they didn't come in strong. Yeah, it was a Thursday night, and we all know what Thursday nights are like because there's two days of rest. Really, there's only two days of rest between the Sunday night games and Monday off, and they practice on Tuesday and Wednesday, and they kind of rest all of Thursday, but then they play at night. So it's not even two full days of rest. So they came in on a four-game win streak, and they lose in a blowout. And their bye week was week four or five. So they have a lot to prepare for in these next couple weeks. And then this season, they have a home game versus the Saints. Then they play the Falcons. And they play the Saints in New Orleans again. So their schedule is not looking easy. But it was a blowout by all means. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the Panthers, I agree with you, needed this win here. You do not want to be a wild card team in the NFC. That's just too tough of a road ahead of you. you Got to go on the road twice. I mean, ultimately, maybe three times. But, I mean, it 
the Panthers needed this win to stay in track with the Saints in the NFC South. They were hot, coming off some wins. I mean, this in most people's eyes, this was considered one of the top games of the week. And it was just utter, after that pick six by Cam Newton, it was utter disaster. I mean, the Steelers absolutely pummeled them from start to finish. I mean, and if Big Ben gets hot, he's a top five quarterback in the league. He was incredible. Only had three incompletions to five touchdowns, uh, no turnovers. So, I mean, they really did a great job of spreading the ball. It's not like Antonio Brown was doing all the work. He had six catches, 96 yards, and only one touchdown. Big Ben threw five touchdowns to five different receivers, hit both of his tight ends, got Vance McDonald involved, and managed to throw a touchdown to Jesse James. Like you said, Juju Smith is really producing into a deep threat there, and he's been incredible. And James Conner continued to prove that he is a... He's a number one back in the NFL. I mean, he's really proved that. But another thing I want to point out is Christian McCaffrey has really developed this year into one of the elite running backs in the league. He can do it all, absolutely. I mean, he had 77 yards on 14 carries and a touchdown, and he led the he led the team in receiving yards with 61 yards and two touchdowns. So he seems like he's coming becoming one of Cam Newton's top threats and favorite targets out of that backfield in those wheel and, wing, wheel and swing routes. I mean, so he's really developing into one of the top backs. And if I'm Carolina, I'm not panicking. I mean, the Steelers have been playing great football as of late, so I'm not totally panicking there. You're coming off a short week, have to go to Heinz Field. It's not an easy place to play. So, I mean, I think Carolina is definitely still going to get into the playoffs in that wild card spot, but I think the Saints right now are just too, too red hot for the Panthers to catch them and gain any ground there. But, I mean, going back to James Conner, the Steelers, I think, are in a win-win situation here. I mean, Conner's proven to be a number one back. Le'Veon Bell has decided not to report, making him ineligible to play for the 2018-2019 season. So I think it's a very selfish act. I mean, he's missing out on $15 million. This young man's missing out on $15 million. I mean, a lot of people would do a lot with 15 mil. And I understand he doesn't want to get hurt. He wants to get paid. But $15 million is $15 million. So, I mean, that's a bit ridiculous. But I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are right now, they're saying, okay, we want guys who want to be here. And James Conner wants to be there. And he's proven himself to be one of the better backs in the league this season at least. Yeah, I, I agree with you with that, that James Conner has absolutely proven himself. And, you know, he's gone through a lot in his life, and he's exactly where he wants to be right now. He has over 1,000 scrimmage yards already this season. It's week 11, and they already had their bye week. So he's absolutely killing it. He did go into concussion protocol the other night, but they said he's expected to play, and he's going to continue to play well. And I agree that the Le'Veon Bell situation, it is... Very much selfish by Le'Veon Bell that he's trying to make a point that because he's the best pass-catching running back in the league, that he should be paid by a re- like a receiver. But if you look at the numbers, over the last five years, he's only averaged five receptions a game compared to Antonio Brown, who averages 8 to 10 on 15 to 20 targets. So Antonio Brown gets the receiver money. So yes, Le'Veon is trying to make a point that as a receiving back and as a premier receiving back in the league, he should be paid more, but that's not how the collective bargaining works, and that's not how it works in the NFL. So he's losing out on $15 million this year, and now he has to look for something like $60 million in guaranteed money next year to make up for the $15 million loss this year. And it doesn't look uh, reasonable that he's going to get that next year as... Uh, the Steelers offered him 
they offered him a $70 million total contract with only $17 million guaranteed in the first year, which is not what he wanted. He wanted that $40 million over two years or $45 million over two years because as a running back in the league at 29 years old, it's almost the end of your career. So he didn't like that offer that the Steelers made him, and he held out, and he's losing out on $15 million. So he has to now get... 60 million in guaranteed money to make up for the 15 million he lost this year. And he's not going to get it unless somebody like the Jets or the Colts sign him. And those aren't winning culture teams right now. So he's leaving a top team in the NFL with one of the best front offices, one of the best coaches, and you have a top five quarterback on any given day. And he's leaving that because he's being selfish. It shows you that he's not a team player, he's not about winning. And that he's just about the money because that's all he wants. So go to New York, go to the Jets. Maybe you'll make them from a four-win team to a six-win team. You're not going anywhere. Boo-hoo. I don't care if they lose. That's your fault. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to who wants this kind of guy in the locker room if he's proven that if he's not getting what he wants, he's not going to show up. Well, tough luck, Le'Veon. I don't think anyone's going to pay you. If I'm a team, I really don't want my team paying you that much money because who knows what you're going to do. Like you said, he's 29 years old. I mean, I some would still consider him in his prime, and he's sitting out right now in one in a year that's considered his prime. He's deciding to sit out and not play at all. So what's going to happen when he turns 32, 33? Is he going to hang it up and retire anyway? Is he going to bail on that too? So who knows? I mean, if I'm no one's going to sign him to a long-term deal. I would hope not. People aren't silly enough to do so. And it's a total selfish move. And if I'm the Steelers, I'm pissed. But at the same time, tough luck. We don't need you. They've proven we don't need you. James Conner stepped up and filled your role, has honestly proven that, I mean, I don't think he's better than Le'Veon Bell right now, but he's had better stats. So, I mean, he's proven that he's one of the, this year, statistically, he's been one of the better running backs in the league. So, it's been proven that the Steelers are like, we don't need you. We're not going to pay you. So, take a hike. Take a hike is what they're saying. So, it's interesting to see. I think you're right that not many competitive teams are going to forfeit a lot of money towards Le'Veon because of his attitude. But I can see a team like the New York Jets doing that, where they pay an aging superstar millions and millions of dollars, and they're stuck with the money. So I hope the Jets do that just so that they can still be terrible for the years to come. Yep, uh, and uh, I wouldn't surprise me. It'd be extremely disappointing. I mean, New York in general is just a dumpster fire for sports franchises. Right now. Right now, so I'd hope they're not silly enough to do that. But speaking of running back with a big game, we're going to get into the Cleveland Browns got another win, got back in the W column with Nick Chubb leading the way with 176 yards and one touchdown with only 20 carries, and he also had a receiving touchdown. Baker Mayfield also played extremely well with three incompletions and three touchdowns, had just as many touchdowns as incompletions with over 200 yards passing. So he played like a number one pick, and the Browns were able to beat a good Falcons roster. Who was on a three out of four game win streak. Right, hot. Right, and and Matt Ryan, who's proven to be, he's a top five quarterback in the league this year. He had over 300 yards again, two touchdowns. I mean, it's not easy stopping Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. And the Browns, with all they've had to deal with this season, Baker Mayfield, 
field, isn't letting the distractions or the adversity get to him. And Todd Williams was able to step up and get his first win as a head coach. And you got to think Cleveland's going to bring this guy in to interview him. If I'm Cleveland, I'm still going for Lincoln Riley, someone that fits Baker Mayfield's style. I'm building around him completely. But, I mean, if Todd Williams wins some games here, who knows? He could be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns in 2019. But, but like I said earlier, Baker Mayfield's looking like the number one pick, and he looks like he's the complete future for the Cleveland Browns and could possibly turn this franchise around. I mean, Cleveland might have lost LeBron, but it looks like they might have Baker coming, and that might have to do it for just now. I agree, Baker Mayfield. But the thing is, Baker Mayfield wasn't playing terribly under Hugh Jackson. It was that Hugh Jackson was not making the decisions, and the coaches were not making the decisions to allow for Baker Mayfield to look good. His numbers were still good. They lost three overtime games, and they tied one. Two of the games, one against the Saints, and the one against Pittsburgh, should be two wins in the win column for Cleveland. They got one tie and one loss because of the kicker. So, if you had a good kicker, maybe they don't. Have, maybe Hugh Jackson is still there because they won those two games. Maybe he's not. Who knows? But they lost those two games. I don't put any of this on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has looked good this year. The team itself hasn't looked bad, but they lost typical Browns games. They lost in overtime to in games they should have won. So, I am more in the blame of the coaching staff and not the players. But, you know, I I can see Cleveland doing Cleveland things. They have the number one pick. They have a very good running back. They have a good receiver in Jarvis Landry. Their defense is going to be good because they have so many young studs. But I see them trading away some uh, top player for nothing. Denzel Ward is a beast on the defensive end. He's, right. He's tore it up. So, and, so, and uh, Miles Garrett has looked great. He could be the defensive MVP. Who knows? I right. Mean, he's a, if the Browns were had a better record, he'd be more in that conversation. Exactly. So I don't blame the players for these losses in the games. I really blame the coaches. The, the play calling for the offense in those games. Silly. That they went into overtime was just ridiculous. So... I don't blame Baker Mayfield for any of the losses that they have because he's played well. And in this dysfunctional Browns front office, even if you're a good quarterback, it's hard to win. So if they can figure out the front office, they're going to figure it out on the field. And we saw that on Sunday. Nick Chubb looks like a number one running back for a team. Baker Mayfield absolutely looks like a starter in this league. So maybe they do bring in Lincoln Riley. Baker's old coach. Maybe they bring him in. So, I obviously Baker did well with him. So we'll see. Yeah, and I mean Hugh Jackson, like you talked about ha- after his silly media tour, it was good to see him get a job with his good friend Marvin Lewis sent with the Cincinnati Bengals. But I think it goes down back to John Dorsey. He's proven he's not afraid to be aggressive. He wants to win, and he wants to win right now. And the last uh, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson were getting the do- job done, so he got him out of the year. He saw something in Nick Chubb, and he said, "We need to get Carlos Hyde out of here now, so Chubb can start developing. I want him getting more carries and more carries." And that's what he did, and Chubb proved it. Proved 
proved John Dorsey right by having 176 yards and touchdowns. So it looks like they could have the future in Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb. That would be a nice one-two punch. Get Jarvis Landry going a little bit. I mean, they I feel like they got to start targeting him a little bit more. He's got to come up with plays. I mean, Joe no Joku on that tight end is pretty good. And like I said, Denzel Ward is a complete beast at the number four pick that they got in this draft this past year. I mean, I think he is going to be a top quarterback in the league one day. And Miles Garrett, like you said, has absolutely been tearing it up. I know he didn't have a big game last week, but before that, he has been looking pretty dominant on that defensive end. So it'd be nice to see the Browns get more wins, but I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year, John Dorsey makes a big move here at the head coaching position and goes after a big-name guy to really start winning now. I mean, you could tell he wants to win now. So, I mean, that takes us into... The New England Patriots getting absolutely pummeled by the Tennessee Titans. I don't think anyone saw this one coming. I mean, the Patriots looked like they were the team to beat in the AFC, looked red hot. I mean, and the Titans, they're so hit or miss. Some weeks they'll score six points. Some weeks Marcus Mariota will show up and play like a guy who wants to be signed to a long-term deal and looks like a guy that Tennessee should sign to a long-term deal. I mean, the past two weeks he's been tremendous. So, I mean, I was quite surprised to see the Patriots get shut down so easily. I know Tom Brady didn't have the greatest of games, but Marcus Mariota really stepped up, had two touchdowns, along with Derrick Henry's two rushing touchdowns, and they got a big early, taking a 17-3 lead after the first quarter and really set the tone from the beginning and got that home crowd involved a little bit. So I was shocked to see the Tennessee Titans pull off this win, but it was a huge, huge win for them in that AFC South. I mean, they're really in the thick of things and winning that division. Yeah, my, the NFC South has been the one of the worst divisions over the last, what, five, six years now? So, a team can get into the playoffs at 7-9. and nine. But, you know, Houston's looking good down there, and I think they can still win that division pretty handily. Jacksonville looks terrible. But, you know, Indianapolis and Tennessee both look pretty good. So, looking at that game against the Patriots. Whenever Belichick plays a former coach and now a former player as the opposing head coach, his record is terrible. They lost a game early in season against Matt Patricia and the Lions. And if you look back to uh, 2009, they went into Denver and lost to Josh McDaniels and the Broncos. And Josh McDaniels was his former assistant. The only assistant he has good looks against is Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien is not a great head coach. With that team he has in Houston, the fact that they haven't been able to win a playoff game or advance far into the playoffs with that kind of team is kind of ridiculous because it's such a talented roster. But going back to the Patriots game, Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel were together for 150 games throughout their careers. That is an incredible amount of time that they were together. And it's a kind of a fact that Belichick can't play against his former assistants because they know all his schemes. Now, as a, as a uh, Patriots fan, I don't know if the Patriots are really showing much against Tennessee in this game. They didn't run the ball well. Brady didn't throw the ball well. They played zone defense a lot of the time with the only cornerback shadowing anybody was Stephon Gilmore, who got beat almost every play because he had no help. But that's just me speculating. I don't know if that's the the truth. But they got blown out. There's no excuse. But they're still 7-3. and 
They control the division, but that could be a big loss for the future. They want to try and get a top seed. You have the 9-1 Kansas City Chiefs. Now they're going up against the 9-1 Rams this week. You have the 6-2 Los Angeles Chargers, who look great. Their defense is solid. Phil Rivers is playing like an MVP. And Melvin Gordon is looking like Le'Veon Bell. So... There's a lot of tough competition in the AFC right now between the top five teams. And in the, a- in the NFC, you have only two top teams. So the AFC is wide open for who- last week we talked about it being the Chiefs and the Pats, but the Steelers are involved, the Texans are involved, and I think you got to throw in the Chargers. Yes, they beat the 1-8 Raiders. Good. But... I still think you got to throw in the Chargers into that mix because they've been playing great, and they beat Tennessee two weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think New England needs to win to have this bye, but going back to Tennessee, I think this six, I think the top five seeds in the AFC are pretty much locked up, I think. I mean, you're going to have one of those teams in the wildcard spot, so I mean, I think they're pretty locked up, but I think that six seed is wide open between the Bengals, the Ravens, the Titans, and the Colts, so this was really a huge win for the Titans going long term, if we're thinking getting into that six seed wildcard spot, and could potentially face the Patriots again in Gillette Stadium, if the Patriots are managed to fall to that three seed, that's something the Patriots do not want to do, it's something they don't do in the Bill Belichick era, is fall to that three seed, they usually have that bye, so it, like you said, the Chargers don't sneak on them I wouldn't be too scared of going to LA in the playoffs as their stadium tends to be low in attendance but a place I don't want to go to in the AFC championship game or in the playoffs is Heinz Field or Arrowhead Stadium those two places would be tough outings especially if it's Patriots Steelers and Heinz Field if the Steelers are able to get that two seed that that would be an incredible game I mean the Patriots always seem to pull it off but still if I'm New England I want that game at home I want it in the cold weather and at home. I don't I don't want to be going to Heinz Field and having to travel to a hostile environment like that. So I think the Patriots got to win games like this when they play Tennessee, these expected wins. So, I mean, luckily they still play the Jets, who have been absolutely worthless so far. So, I mean, they, they still play, play the them twice, twice. Twice. And they play Miami. Yes, they play in Miami. So, and I mean, that's... Miami is somehow 4-1 at home and 1-4 on the road. But still, that's the benefit of the New England Patriots is they get those wins like that. I mean, the Jets are absolutely... I think they might have and the they worst And they played the Bills again. Oh, and the, so that's just not absolutely four wins right there to reach them to 11 wins. So will 11 wins get them that first round bye? Who knows? It, it depends, depends on the, the Steelers. Steelers. And don't sleep on the Houston Texans here, too. I'm so. not going to sleep on the Houston Texans, but the Patriots already have the tiebreaker over them because they beat them already. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how this AFC playoff picture shapes up. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be an interesting playoff race. But now to switch things over to the NFC, we were un- unfortunately we had to watch the Philadelphia Eagles take a big loss, divisional loss, completely unexpected, coming off a bye week at home on a Sunday night prime time. This was completely unexpected and an absolute terrible, terrible loss 
for the Philadelphia Eagles. I couldn't believe it. Ronald Darby goes down with a torn ACL after already Sidney Jones and Jalen Mills hurt not playing. So you're down your top three cornerbacks in this game. And they really, it was about containing Zeke. That's what you got to do with the Cowboys. It contains Zeke, make Prescott beat you. And they couldn't contain Zeke. I think he had over 170 yards total offense. So they needed to contain him to have a shot of winning the game. And when you have your three top cornerbacks down, you're already slim at the cornerback position. Your three top guys aren't really, haven't really been playing too well. I, I like the way Darby's been playing, but Mills and Jones weren't huge losses, but now you lose these three guys. How bad are these backups now that we're going to have to play here? So the secondary is a complete mess, complete mess, and they have to get the running game going. I mean, Philly has to do something about the running game going. I like the way Jamal Adams ran the ball, but they only gave it to him seven times. So I'm expecting a more workload from him this week. I mean, Zach Ertz, I think, is the best tight end in the league. Wentz, he's clearly Carson Wentz's favorite target. That's why Wentz threw the first interception. He was looking left, didn't even look back right, just said, I have Zach Ertz in that comfort zone. Didn't see Vanderbosch, who by the way, Vanderesh, who by the way played a tremendous game with Sean Lee out, prove that he's going to be a future star. He was an absolute stud. I think he had 14 tackles and um, interception. What did Ertz have? He had 11 receptions, 14 for catches, 145 yards, yeah. and two touchdowns. And but going back to Vanderesh, he saved the game there in that fourth quarter. I believe it was third and one. They flip it out to Corey Clement. He had space on the screen, and Vanderesh comes around a block and clips him to make a tackle for a four-yard loss to bring up fourth and five, which they ended up turning it over on down. So, I mean, that was a unf- great play by him, but they got to get blocks on him. But like I going back to it, I think they got to get some running game going. Carson Wentz has been playing pretty well, 360 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, he had that pick in the first quarter, but, I mean, he recovered fine, and they got to get some help in that running game to help him out a little bit. I think where the Eagles might have lost this game was they were on, it's in the first quarter, and they were on the Dallas 30-yard line, and instead of going for the field goal on fourth down, they go for it on fourth and four, and they don't they don't convert. As soon as that happened, and Doug Peterson does like to take a lot of chances, some risky chances, instead of almost guaranteeing yourself three points, I know Jake Elliott has been off and on this year, but you always got to assume that your kicker is going to be on. And nailed a 56-yarder earlier in the game. Right. So, at, at, at this point, it's 3 nothing, and... You need the points because you turn the ball over on the Dallas 30-yard line. It is demoralizing for your defense. It shows that your offense didn't get the job done. So you get three points there. It gives your defense a boost and incentive to get the offense back on the field because you know that they can drive down the field, but they just stalled on that one drive. But they went for it on fourth and four, and they didn't convert. And then Dallas drives down the field. And they convert on three in a row, third and four, third and three, or third and twos. They convert three in a row on that next drive. And then on subsequent drives, they convert more third and short yardage. The Eagles couldn't stop Dallas on the third and short yardage plays to get their entire defense off the field. If they had converted on one of them, the drive's over. They're not going for it deep in their own zone at third and three or third and four, but they couldn't stop Dallas on those plays. Ezekiel Elliott had 180 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns. So they couldn't stop him. They made Dak Prescott look like the best quarterback in the league. And this is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the league. Now you'll lose Ronald Darby. Your linebackers are iffy. And your front seven does not look like the dominant front seven from a year ago. 
and you have to the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL as they go to New Orleans next Sunday. So and they go to New Orleans where they're eight and a half point underdogs. The Eagles haven't been eight and a half point underdogs since I think the Super Bowl where they were twelve point underdogs to the Patriots, something like that. So the Eagles need to figure out what's going on. And I don't think it's all Jim Schwartz's fault. I think some of it might be. The play calling isn't great. But the play calling isn't great from Doug Peterson on the offensive end either. So there's a lot of problems right now. Wentz isn't a problem. Obviously, Ertz isn't a problem. Their run game is the worst in the league right now. They can't run the ball to save their lives. But you just got Golden Tate. Utilize him. Exactly. Stretch the field with Golden Tate. Two catches. Was on the field for about, what, 25% of the plays, it almost seemed like. And when he was in Detroit, he commanded 27% of the plays from Matthew Stafford when he was on the field. And got we got him before the bye. Right. So you have him on a bye, which is his second bye of the year. So he gets that extra rest. He gets time to learn the playbook. Use him. Using him is going to allow him to spread the field. Look at what Amari Cooper did in Dallas against Tennessee. He had, coming off the bye on that Monday night game, he had four receptions for 50 yards and a touchdown. Coming off the bye, they utilized him. They threw him the ball. And against the Eagles, Amari Cooper looked pretty good. It looked like he was worthy of that first-round pick that they gave up. Right now, the way they use Golden Tate doesn't look like he's what they gave up in a third round pick for him so if they start using him and spreading the field it's going to allow for the run game to open up it's going to allow for Carson Wentz to make those short passes where Corey Clement can get over the first down line instead of lose four yards it's going to allow Zach Ertz to continue to get open and maybe even get more than 14 receptions so there's a lot of things that the Eagles have to do to improve and it starts with the run game and the defense. And then Golden Tate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I like Doug Peterson's aggression. I get it there. I mean, that's what he's that's his scheme. He's got to stick to it. <laughs> but I think really what killed them is when Jake Elliott nailed that fifty six yarder, they came down, sacked Prescott for like a twelve yard loss. Zeke then runs it for eight eight, makes it a third and fifteen. The Eagles use time two timeouts to try and get the ball back in hopes of that. And then the Cowboys throw a screenplay and the Philadelphia Eagles allow them to get escape for about thirty yards and gain the first down, which eventually led to Dak Prescott marching his way down the field and getting a QB sneak to extend the lead to thirteen to three going to the half. That was a huge swing, really big swing. I mean, it, it essentially decided the game. If they got to stop there on that third and fifteen, got the ball back with fifty seconds to go, who knows? They could have gotten three points there, and it could have been a huge difference in the ball game. So, huge disappointment. I like, like I said, the Eagles have the toughest main schedule. Still have to go to New Orleans this week. Still have to go to the L.A. Rams have to play the Houston Texans, and this was really the Eagles' opportunity to make this a two-man race between the Redskins and the Eagles, really eliminate the Cowboys from the division race. So this was their chance coming off this bye, and it was just an utter, utter failure. It's a complete nightmare right now. I mean, people are growing frustrated, including myself, and it, it was 
really, really upsetting to see. I think the only thing that's really giving me hope anymore is knowing that they still have to play the Redskins twice. So if they can get two wins there, that will really help their case. But who knows what's going to happen in Philadelphia. they got to figure out that secondary, like I've been saying, and they got to figure out fast injuries will not help at all. But stay in the NFC this Monday night, like we said earlier, Huge game, supposed to be played in New Mexico City. Field conditions were rough. So now we're moving the game to L.A. as the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes travel to the L.A. Rams and play Todd Gurley, two of the hottest players. I mean, two of the the top two guys that people were saying are going to be the league MVP the season and say Pat Mahomes and Todd Gurley. So it's going to be an incredible game to watch. And, I mean, AFC versus NFC game like this, this could be a potential Super Bowl game in the future who knows so it's gonna be an awesome game to watch but I mean Seth do you have any thoughts on that upcoming game yeah clearly Jared Goff has turned it around the last two years from when people said he was a bust as a number one overall pick to what he's done now he's at least a top 10 quarterback in the league yes he has a very good surrounding cast and Todd Gurley is probably the best football player in the league right now but you know in, in this game, I think it's going to be very similar to what the Saints-Rams game was and what the Chiefs-Patriots game was, where there's not much defense played. It's going, to be a, it's going to be an offensive game, I think. And they're in the United States. They don't have to practice in high altitude. They don't have to work on their breathing because it's not in Mexico City anymore. It's in L.A. So L.A. now has a real home game instead of a fake home game, and that's in quotes, because they would be the home team, but in Mexico City. So this is a benefit for LA here, because they don't have to travel. They get to stay put on a Monday night, have a longer week without that extra travel day. Uh, Obviously, both teams are hot coming into this game. Rams coming off a big win against Seattle. But both their defenses are sluggish. And I think, for the Rams, their defense is the only thing that's going to end up holding them back. Because when they can't stop the run or they can't stop the pass and they allow teams to score, then you're not going to get much. It doesn't matter if your offense scores if your defense can't hold the opposing team's offense. And that's what happened with Kansas City and New England. Kansas City's defense could not stop Tom Brady. So there was one play where there was one series where the Patriots were able to stop Kansas City and that was the difference maker. Just like last year's Super Bowl. There was one series where the Eagles stopped Tom Brady and the Patriots offense, and that was the game. As soon as that happened, the Eagles were going to win the Super Bowl. So, in this game, there only needs to be one big defensive play that's going to determine this game. Aaron Donald. Yes, Aaron Donald can make that difference because he is, depending on the week, the best defender in the league. Other than that, it's Khalil Mack. We'll get to him maybe next week. That's another. T- that's a topic for another time there, right. Seth. But Aaron Donald is the kind of player who can make that impact. He can get to your running back and force a fumble. He can get to the quarterback and force a fumble. He can even drop back and pass coverage as a linebacker and get an interception. He is that good. He lines up anywhere on the defensive line, and you have to double-team him. He is that good. And then you add Dante Flower... And then you have Ndamukong Sue. So that defensive line is probably the best in the league. But their cornerbacks haven't been showing up. 
Aqib Talib is injured. Marcus Peters looks like the same Marcus Peters as last year, not of two years ago, where he was a shutdown cornerback. Last year, he was a crybaby who couldn't stop anything. This year looks like he's the same as last year. He's not stopping anything. He's not crying about it, but he's not stopping anything. But it's a big game for him going up against his former team. So there's another storyline there. And Tyreek Hill. And, and I think that's the X factor. I mean, if they can get Tyreek Hill involved, he is fast as lightning, and who knows? I mean, I, there's nobody that can stop if, him. If he gets off to the races, I mean, there's you're right. It's there's scary. no stopping him. And then that opens a whole new ball game up for Kareem Hunt. But if you ha- if you only focus on Tyreek Hill, then again you you Kareem Hunt who can run the ball and catch the ball just like Gurley on the other side and Travis Kelsey will eat you up and that's where I was going next Travis Kelsey he I think is actually the real X factor because like Ertz and like Gronkowski the only other two good tight ends I'd probably say in the league right now yes Greg Kittle's pretty good but you have to look at the top three which is Ertz Gronkowski and, and Kelsey. He's like all the other two. He can go for 14 catches at, for 150 yards and three, four, two, whatever touchdowns. But he can also block during the run. So he's a versatile player where Mahomes is going to be able to get the ball out and beat Aaron Donald. And Mahomes has the best arm I've ever seen. And Tyreek Hill can run to any ball that Mahomes throws. So, you have the fastest receiver, you have one of the best tight ends, and I'd say one of the best running backs, and right now probably the best quarterback, the hottest quarterback. The Kansas City team is dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I, like I said, Tyreek Hill is the X factor. If they can get him going, I'm, I think Kansas City will win this game a lot. Marcus Peters has been playing well, and I just don't see him stopping Hill. So it's going to be a real interesting game. Like you said, Cooper Cup going down with the ACL for the Rams. So their first game without him. So luckily they seem to be deep this year at wide receiver with Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods playing. But they've played without Cooper Cup the last couple. Not He was in the last two weeks. But they've played without him. Right. They know what it's like, but he's going to be missing the whole season. And, and he's, he's going to be missed. And Cooper Cup is to Jared Goff A as, best friend. A best friend, as Edelman is to Tom Brady. Absolutely. I so totally agree. He's, he, Cooper Cup was Goff's security blanket. On a third and seven, when you needed the first down at the 50-yard line, you were going to hit Cup. And losing him is a big loss for Jared Goff for the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. But that's going to move us into our last bit of the night. We're just going to do our weekly picks of this upcoming week 11. It is now We're now all the way into week 11 of the NFL season. It's crazy how quickly it flies by. So, Seth, we're just going to start it off with you and go down. So, first thing, Thursday night at 820, kick things off tomorrow night. We got the Green Bay Packers playing at the Seattle Seahawks. Who do you got? I'm going to take Green Bay. I think that Aaron Jones gets off to a good start running the ball. Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to pass the ball. And the Seattle defense reeling from a loss against the Rams. And the Seattle offense, which doesn't do much anyway, I'm going to go with uh, Green Bay. And I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks at home. Russell Wilson has been playing exceptionally well. Chris Carson is back, but I'm going to go with Rashad Penny is the X-Factor here. Had a big week last week. I'm expecting him to get more carries and really be the X-Factor in this game. And I'm going to take Seattle at home. And now we have the Dallas Cowboys at the Atlanta Falcons. 
I'm going to go with Atlanta here. Coming off a bad loss to the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland. Atlanta's now home against the same Form 5 Dallas, the same record. I'm going to go with Atlanta. Julio Jones is going to have a big game, 150-plus receiving yards. Now I'm going to go with Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan, elite quarterback. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I can always go against the Cowboys. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so that takes us to the Cincinnati Bengals. Travel to Baltimore and take on the 4-5 and five Ravens. Big divisional game here. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. They're reeling after allowing three 500-yard games in a row. I think that they're going to be able to stop Joe Flacco and the Baltimore offense, and the Cincinnati offense is going to be able to overcome Baltimore's defense. I'm going to take Cincinnati in Baltimore. And I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take the A.J. Greenless Cincinnati Bengals. They're not having him. That's going to be big. But I'm going to expect Tyler Boyd to step up in a big way. And I'm going to expect the Bengals to further diminish the Baltimore Ravens' playoff chances and go into Baltimore, defeat Average Joe. And next up, we'll see Lamar Jackson era begin. So now we got the Carolina Panthers at the Detroit Lions. Coming off that big loss against the Steelers, I'm going to go with the Panthers. The Detroit Lions can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They can't play anything on offense, especially after losing Golden Tate. I'm going to go with Carolina having a bounce-back win. I think it's going to be close, but Carolina's going to get the W. Totally agree with you, Alan. The struggling Lions look to be in rebuild mode after getting rid of Golden Tate. I don't know what they're doing there, but like you said, defensive coach can't stop the run, can't stop the pass. I'm going to go with Cam Newton to look again, once again, for Christian McCaffrey, and I'm going to pick the Carolina Panthers to win big in Detroit. So that takes us to a big AFC South matchup. Big, big opportunity for the Tennessee Titans as they travel to Indianapolis and take on Andrew Luck and the 4-5 and five Colts. This is a similar game to the Cincinnati-Baltimore game, where in division, opposite records, 5-4, 4-5, playoff implications. Tennessee wins this, I think. Indianapolis is going to lose. I think it's going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be like uh, an early blowout like last week, what Indianapolis had over Jacksonville when then they made it close with the final 29-26. But I think it's going to be close. Neither team is going to be able to score the ball much. I think it's going to be more of a defensive battle, and I think that Tennessee is going to squeak it out. Yeah, I'm going to take the Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts in this one. They're going to make things really interesting in the AFC wildcard race, and as they're going to eventually tie the Tennessee Titans after getting this game as their one game behind them now. So I'm going to take Andrew Luck, who's, I think, the favorite comeback NFL Comeback Player of the Year right now. He's going to continue to play well, and they're going to defeat the Tennessee Titans this week. So that takes us to the battle of the quarterbacks. you got Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New York Giants coming off their second win of the season. I can never take the Giants. I'm going Tampa Bay. Absolutely. You can never trust Eli Manning. I'm going Tampa Bay to go into a cold New York stadium and defeat the Giants. I'm not expecting this one to be close either. Fitzpatrick is good in the cold. He won in New York as a Jet, and he won in Buffalo as a Bill. You got that. I'm expecting to keep that starting job after Week 11, too. And then we got the Pittsburgh Steelers against the struggling Jacksonville Jaguars. I believe this is this a playoff rematch? It is a playoff rematch. Uh, except last year Pittsburgh was home, and Jacksonville destroyed them. But I'm going to go the opposite. I think that Pittsburgh is going to go into hot Jacksonville and smoke the Jacksonville Jaguars, who might be in another rebuild mode themselves because none of those star players can get along with each other. 
and I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers, get some revenge on the Jaguars. I think the scores might be flipped from last year's playoffs. So I'm expecting the Steelers to play with a chip on their shoulder after Le'Veon announcing he's not coming back. Prove him wrong. They're going to Jacksonville, win big, and Tyrod Taylor after this week is going to be traded to Jacksonville Jaguars. Next up, I got the Houston Texans against the, going traveling to the Washington Redskins. A big game as both teams are sitting at 6-3. and three. Yeah, I'm going to take the Washington Redskins. They are one of the best, if not the best, home team right now in the NFL, where all three of their losses have come on the road, and they've been looking good at home. They're finally getting a real challenge against a good team, but I'm going to go with the Washington Redskins in a in a in again in a very close game. Yeah, I'm going to take the Houston Texans here. I think they're red hot. Deshaun Watson starting to look like Deshaun Watson, and I'm not sure the Redskins are going to have an answer for J.J. Watt on that defensive line. So I think the defensive line for the Texans is going to get to Alex Smith a lot. D.J. Swearinger, I know, is playing his old team. There's a little rivalry there, but I don't think him and the defense are going to be enough to stop Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. So I'm going to take the Texans to go to Washington, D.C. and pull off a victory. So now that takes us later afternoon games. We've got a 405 matchup. The Denver Broncos travel to the red hot Los Angeles Chargers. I gotta give it to the Chargers. Their defense is playing unbelievably well right now. And it doesn't even matter what Phil Rivers does. As long as the defense can stop the uh, Broncos offense, I think that the Chargers are gonna win. And it's the second game without Demarius Thomas. Let's see what Case Keenum can do with only uh, Emmanuel Sanders as the top wideout. Yeah, I think the Gi- I think the Chargers are going to win here easily. Hopefully, they can start getting some fans out there in LA to support these Chargers because they are looking mighty hot and one of the better teams in the AFC. So I'm going to take them over the Broncos and really pull away in their division there. So that takes us to the dumpster fire. Oakland Raiders travel to another dumpster fire. Arizona Cardinals. So we got two really bad teams here. Who do we got? I don't want the Raiders to win. I really don't want the Raiders to win. I, I don't understand why they gave John Gruden a 10-year contract for a guy who's only produced three Pro Bowlers out of every draft pick that he's ever had. And I, I just I, I cannot want the Oakland Raiders to win. But I want to see Arizona get a higher draft pick. So I'm going to take Oakland winning this because I think that Arizona wants to try and get a top two or three pick. Yeah, I agree. I do not want to see Oakland win. I'm going to go with Arizona here, and Oakland's going to get more and more angry. John Gruden, that's just going to look like a complete failed experiment. You think he can get fired after this week? Who knows? I think if the Cardinals, I think if this game's not close, Gruden might be out sooner rather than later. So who knows? I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals here at home, though. So that takes us into a huge game for the Philadelphia Eagles as they travel to New Orleans and play the 8-1 and number one seed team in the NFC, Drew Brees and the red-hot New Orleans Saints. Who do you got, Dale? I'm going to stick with my heart here and take the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz, back is going to hurt after the game. He's going to save five touchdowns, high-scoring affair. No way the Eagles secondary can stop Michael Thomas and Drew Brees, and I think it's going to be a score of 45 42, but the Eagles are somehow, some way, going to stay alive in this NFC wildcard race and divisional race. If the Eagles defense looks like what Cincinnati did last week, even with the offense and how it's pretty much clicking right now, I don't see how they can beat the Saints. I sadly am going to take the Saints, even though I want the Eagles to win. I don't think that they can go into New Orleans and pull this off. 
New Orleans is just too good right now. And that takes us to Sunday Night Football. We got Minnesota Vikings traveling to Chicago Bears. Mitch Trubisky has looked legit. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chicago here. I think their defense has been really playing well. Their offense is playing well, too. Last week, they smoked the Lions. They couldn't make a kick, but their offense was clicking everywhere. Running, passing, special teams, Trubinsky running. He had a touchdown running and a couple passing. So I'm going to go with Chicago beating Minnesota, even though Minnesota is going to be well-rested. Yeah, I'm with you on this. It's a huge divisional game. Chicago has a chance going one and a half games up with Vikings having that tie. So I'm going to take Mitch Trubisky and the Bears, and I think Tyreek Cohen's going to have over 100 yards total in the game with a touchdown or two. So I'm going to take the Bears at home. And then that takes us in the last game, Monday Night Football, game of the week. Move to L.A. We got the Kansas City Chiefs traveling to the Los Angeles Rams, battle the 9-1s, two of the top teams in their respective conference. So big game. Who do we got here, Seth? I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams beating the Kansas City Chiefs because they're home in the Coliseum. I don't see them losing this game. I think they're going to make the one defensive play that's going to be needed to make, and they're going to win this game. Very high-scoring game. I'm taking the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. I think Pat Mahomes makes a play. It's on SportsCenter, and it's his defining moment on his way to the league MVP. Who knows, but I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs here. Tyreek Hill over 150 yards and two scores. But that's going to wrap things up for our second podcast. Thanks, Seth, for joining me tonight. And, of course, join us next week as we talk more NFL football. Have a good night. You're listening to this edition of 88.9 The Pulse WQSU Sports Podcast.